Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Patrick, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting. Hello, Steve. Nick, how you doing? I'm a bit hassled, Steve. Oh, you look, you look a little bit hot and bothered, don't you? I'm a bit hassled. I've got too oh. many things to do, Steve. How how do you deal with stress normally? Badly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. A lot of academics. It's kind of chaos. Controlled controlled chaos, I've heard it described as. Is that as. because it's the start of term and everything needs to be done before the students come back? Yeah, there's that. I've got new people starting and trying to work out things that need to be done. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'll try and do that. And then I just think, well, maybe I can just get them to do it when they get here. <laughs> so exactly. maybe I shouldn't worry about it yet. So, so that's... Well, it's your, this is your, it's your own fault for being so damn successful. If you had fewer people in your lab, then you'd have less to do. Uh, I I think I'm a bit too... Maybe I should just... I don't know. Or maybe I worry freak. too much. You have to do it all yourself because you, ca you can't trust anyone to do anything else. Don't think I'm like that. <laughs> Not in the lab, at least. But I think it's just quite... Um, there's just a lot of different things going on. There's too many things to hold in your mind at one time. And right. so there's lots of things which kind of catch you by surprise or you haven't done, which are the things when you wake up in the night and go, <laughs> like that. Uh, that's quite yeah. distressing. So I've just written them all down on a bit of paper and it's like about three sides long of just Aww. writing of all of the different things I've got. I had one of those days yesterday where, you know, like there's about maybe one day a month where I feel like I really earned my salary. You know, when you just kind of like I got up early, like did had meetings that were productive all day, finished a load of things I needed to do and tick them off my list. So I feel kind of good about myself today. So yesterday I felt like I earned my salary. The other the preceding 35 days, complete, complete waste of money to the UK taxpayer. But yesterday you got value for money. That's good, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, the, the meetings, doing meetings, I don't really f sometimes think, oh, that's not really, I need to write things down and do things and actually produce things. That's the hard bit. The meetings mm -hmm. are just like wiffle waffle, isn't it? It's wiffle waffle that people already know. They don't need you well, to wiffle waffle Sometimes, sometimes people need a bit of wiffle waffle, don't they? Sometimes a little, they need a yeah. bit of organisation. I think it's probably for your mental health rather than their... their <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway... Um, so yeah, these are the joys of being a scientist. New academic term starting, lots of teaching to sort out, various different things flying around, administrative things. Everything is constantly in a state of disrepair and falling around around ears in the faculty. I love that. Nothing yeah. works. I don't want to say too much about the problems within our university at the moment, but there are structural issues that we're working all the time to fill the gaps. It's like a building that's constantly constant. about to fall down. And you're just patching it up. And yeah, kicking the can down. You you're like the Conservative government, to, aren't you? you just kicking everyone, the can down the road. You need everyone to leave, get out, <laughs> leave it for a year or two, fix and it, it and then everyone come back and then it'll be all right. Ah, oh, well, you know what? I've got a good idea to relax you a little bit. Why don't we do a bit of science-based pod fun? Sounds good, man. Yeah, so um, I was thinking the other day, you know, there's all this stuff kicking off in, in Ukraine. It's really sad. 
I mean, I would say it's more than kicking off. It's been kicked off for a long time, but yeah, it's Since very February, sad. It's an awful situation. Um, mm. You know, uh, there's not much more that you can add that, that just doesn't, you know, replicate what everyone else has said, but it's it's dreadful. But I, it got me thinking about Ukrainians and Ukrainian scientists. Okay. And so I just picked up my old book about George Gamov again. Do you remember George Gamov? George Gamov. No, I don't remember the Gamov. Oh, he's from Odessa. So he's a, he was a, born in the Soviet Empire, as it was originally, yeah. in 1905. Uh, grew up in Odessa, went to um, university there, and eventually went to Leningrad University, where he met lots of other people really important in nuclear physics, like Lev Landau. So he's a nuclear physicist, predominantly... Right. Um, someone who worked on the atom in the early days worked with all of the great these are the sorts of people he's the sort of person who's kind of like you read it and it's just like a swashbuckling scientific tale do you know what i mean just seat of the pants they're just yeah, wandering they're, around europe you know he went to learning name dropping as far like clang oh look there we go there's schrodinger clang oh look there we go there's rutherford clang <laughs> Exactly. So he was at um, Copenhagen with Bohr, lots of stories about Niels Bohr. He was with Rutherford in Cambridge, of course, eventually went to the US. Um, Eventually, he escaped Russia. It's a fascinating story about how he tried to get away from Russia. So I'll talk a little bit more about what he did in a second. But essentially, he was a nuclear physicist working in his early 20s, went traveling on various fellowships. So he was able to do a fellowship, first of all, a Carlsberg Fellowship, because as nice. you know, Carls- yep, Carlsberg bequeathed yep. um, the brewery to Bohr and Bohr. That's where the Institute is now in Copenhagen. I don't know. It's called the Institute of Theoretical Physics, something like that. We should look that up. <clears throat> anyway, he did one there and then he got another fellowship to work at Cambridge with with Rutherford. So he did loads of stuff before right. going back, going back to Russia. Unfortunately, Russia was a crazy place at the mo- at that time. You know, they had extreme communism stalin purges all the world dialectical materialism so all science was based on a kind of philosophical communist concept involving right. the worker and if it didn't subscribe to that kind of dialectical materialism it was kind of against the government so you had to be really careful how you did research yeah anyway well, that's I'm, a longer wow. story anyway he worked there but he it became stifling for him he was going away and you know, in Soviet Russia, there were big problems with being able to do research because you were constrained by the party. You right. know, you're constantly going. At one point, he got in trouble because he wrote a slightly uh, subversive letter about someone who he didn't like and signed it. And he got hauled in front of a panel of machine shop workers who basically kicked two of his colleagues out of his university. And the other two, they were banned from visiting five of the major cities in Russia. It's called the minus ha- five. Rule. They held a an opinion which was they held an opinion, an opinion that was not that was not uh, popular. Exactly, exactly. So oh um, you know, God, authoritarian regime. That's what's it's starting to happen more and more in in Russia now itself. Anyway, he tried to escape. So he and his wife, he married someone. Um, well, she he called her Ro. His nickname was Ro. R H O after the Greek mm-hmm. letter. And to get away from Russia, they basically subversively bought this kind of folding canoe, sort of canvas and wood canoe. And they made up a story that they were interested in just canoeing for fun, right? Canoeing in rivers. But their real aim was to try and get out of Russia. Do you know where they tried to get out of Russia? 
They were going to use the canoe to do that. They were going to use a canoe. They were going by boat. Do you know what their plan was? (laughs) This sounds harebrained, even. (laughs) Like, okay, no, I don't. What's the plan? Well, their first idea was to go up towards Murmansk and go across to Finland. But it was really, really heavily guarded. Dogs, guards everywhere. Couldn't get out. So then he looked at the map, George Gamow, and he thought, well, actually, the tip of the Crimean Peninsula is only about 170 kilometres from the north coast of Turkey. So we'll take the boat down there and row to Turkey. Him wow. <laughs> so they he got was in his late 20s. Late like, so, so like 70 miles or something. Well, they like. pretended. They went down there, pretended they were on a little vacation and they were testing the canoe in seafaring conditions. But basically they stockpiled a load of um, provisions, including a little, bo- yeah. blo- little bottle of brandy, loads of other stuff as well. Anyway, they got in the canoe, started paddling. Beautiful day. He recounts it in his autobiography, which... I'm, this is where I'm getting my information from, and I yeah. recommend it to anyone. It's called My World Line. It's sort of relativistic pun, My World Line. Anyway, he, um, he, yeah, they paddled across the Black Sea. Anyway, great to start with for like a, for two days. Then a storm hit. Anyway, they were washed away. They how long, almost how long died. would it take to paddle for like 120 kilometers? It must be a couple of days. He suggested, no, he suggested it would take them seven or eight days. Okay, and he oh, maintained he mm-hmm. maintained till the day he died that if the weather had been all right, they would have got across. They're just navigating using the stars and the compass. Right. So, you know, anyway, didn't get across. Fascinating character. Lots of other stories about this chap. He wrote. He was instrumental. No, no, wait, 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 wait! Don't, 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 don't abort the story mid <laughs> mid row. We're halfway across the, uh, the, the, the the Crimean Peninsula here and it started, the weather's got wrong. What happened next, Nick? <laughs> there was a storm. They almost died. They started to become delirious. His wife right. did. They were going basically at real extreme hardship. They got washed about 100 kilometres and they ended up on the North Black Sea shore, about 100 kilometres to the west of where they'd started from, picked up by some fishermen. <laughs> right. Okay. They claim they'd so they, got so they, came, they got pushed back onto, into Russia. They got pushed basically. back into Russia. So then they went home. Uh-huh. No one suspected anything. Anyway, they weren't allowed out of the country. Finally, he managed to get a... Because he, he didn't have any dependents. It was just him and his wife. There was a conference in Solvay. You know the famous conference. Yeah, the famous conference. Solvay yeah. conference. This is where all of the pioneers of nuclear physics went. In Belgium, I believe, Solvay, is that right? I think so, yeah. Um, and then, uh, yes, they all... Um, uh, he basically got a passport for his wife. They got over there, and then they just never came back. So they escaped, basically. Oh, right, so they just used the... So so you might as well... So, so what that tells you is, scientists, don't use your bra- Don't use your brawn, <laughs> use your brain. Like, you know, to actually, you know, just, just go on a conference and never yeah. come back. There were loads of other people in the room, but there was another one guy called Peter Kapista who had terrible problems as well and was trapped in Russia for years and years as well. So it happened to lots of Russian scientists about that time, you know, Stalin, the extreme um, Stalinist it Russia. Mu- it must be very, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We, we, we take those kind of um, opportunities for granted that we can kind of debate and argue and, you know, and actually that there's no, you know, that we can kind of hold uh, unimportant or even kind of, uh, sorry, not unimportant, but, but kind of views which are disagreed with by, by lots of other scientists. And actually it's that we actively encourage that and it's the debate in the literature and others which allows us to get to the truth. And it would be very difficult if you couldn't even get to be worried what your conclusion, you know, politically what your conclusions say. Well, I suppose you could, well. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely I, I, true. And it happened much later on in Russia as well, that famous case of Alexander Lysenko, who was a, mm-hmm. a plant scientist 
he wasn't really a scientist, but he was an advocate of um, Lamarckian theories of evolution, didn't believe in genetics. So it totally stimmed science for, de- mm. for, for, for a decade or two decades because they know people weren't allowed to study genetics because it went against communist principles. Why, and does, why does genetics go against communist principles? I think it's something to do with being able to improve yourself and like you know through the generations rather than it being ingrained in your ah interesting anyway i don't oh, know gosh. i haven't i haven't, I haven't sort of re- had a look at that before we had this chat is yeah anyway anyway george gamma i've got back to him he was instrumental in um sort of atomic physics he mm. came up with a theory of um tunneling so this is another example of him working with rutherford so originally there was this confusing result rutherford had had and others had had that when they bombarded um heavy uh, elements with alpha particles like uranium nuclei the uh the uh, nuclei the, the 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 particles wouldn't fuse with the with the uranium nucleus they would be scattered or travel through you know yep. think back to the gold foil experiment you know where he discovered the the nucleus this, the this nucleus yeah exactly so that was confusing because the the alpha um, radiation, which of course is a helium nucleus, which left uranium, was of lower energy than the ones they were firing in. So they couldn't the understand. Well, I think the concept was, well, why does it take more energy to put one in than you need to add to one to get it to leave? Get it out. Yeah. Yeah. So that but was a, going somewhere. That was a confusing kind of idea no one really understood why it was anyway he would rutherford wasn't really a big believer in quantum physics he was a bit of a chap of the old-fashioned type he called the crocodile famously got a bass relief of a crocodile in his lab um Mm. because um that was his sort of nickname anyway he didn't like that very much anyway very gently gamov was able to come up with this plan and show that actually what was going on it was an early it wasn't he doesn't call it this in his book because it wasn't called that at that time it's quantum tunneling this sort of probabilistic um idea that you can get things leaping over these energy barriers by you know these very very small scales just by chance it's it's these kind of completely unbelievable concepts of you know when you speak to a quantum physicist they say there is a probability that we could calculate that you could walk through the wall yeah and he it's based just it on extremely low and, it's and the wave... smaller you get the the, the the higher the probability of that relative to Planck's constant and I believe it's wave particle duality that's the sort of encapsulation and he, he based a lot of that theory on work done by de Broglie de Broglie I used to call him de Broglie de Broglie yeah, so these pilot waves. So it's this idea that you can these things can permeate and particles can be carried through with these waves. Anyway, he did lots of that pioneering work. Unfortunately, lots of people discovered it at the same time. So he says in his book that you know this 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 uh, Gurney and Condon, who they were another pair of people who were working on it, discovered because this was a fundamental. This was like potentially groundbreaking, incredible. But basically, lots of people discovered it in the same year. And he never got the Nobel Prize for it. He didn't win a Nobel Prize. But really, that's the sort of discovery that would win a Nobel Prize. 100%. He yeah. says, he said in his, in his biography, such coincidences of important discoveries result in the gradual dilution of the annual Nobel Prizes. Neither Gurney and Condon nor I received one or a fraction thereof. And in the near future, a successful scientist may be able to say, oh, I got three seventeenths of the Nobel Prize in 19... <laughs> whatever it is. 
So you need to have few people. You need you you can only have three or fewer people discover something big to be able to get the three or fewer living people. Yeah, because there has been yeah. famous cases where they wait. If there's four, they basically wait, they wait for, for one of them to, to kick the bucket, and then they then they can award it. Anyway, um, it's a fascinating character, and there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of when, interesting um, things. But you know, when think did, about... when did he pass away? He presumably he's dead now. Yeah, he so he he died in uh, nineteen uh, late sixties, nineteen sixty eight. Okay, so he was only sixty four when he, when he died. Um, yeah, but he he famous later on in his career, he he wrote um, uh, these books called Mister Tompkins books. There was one mm. called Mister Tompkins Goes to Town, and basically they were books to try and help people understand That's relativity, where, yeah. where they reduced the speed of light to about um, fifty kilometers an hour. And it described what happened when people were walking around a town and getting in cars when the speed of light was reduced to that level. So he, That's he really was a, cool. He was a popularizer. So he was a notable farceur as well. So he's, there's all kinds of tales in the book. There's one when he's at Cambridge and Max Bourne comes to town and he's with Max Bourne. And Max Bourne, as he's walking, because he's a Jewish emigre, Max Bourne, mm. he's come from Nazi Germany where the people people are getting murdered. The first headline he sees in The Sun says, born to be hanged <laughs> he gets really paranoid before the before gamov has to explain to him oh no, no this is just about a person who who was you know de- predestined <laughs> yeah die. it's not about you max oh bless him <laughs> yeah yeah no but but fascinating though yeah there's loads of good stories but anyway that's an example of a ukrainian scientist and there are loads of other ones and i think that because ukraine was in the russian empire these people traditionally considered themselves russian um, and it's interesting to think whether Gamow historically, cons- yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's I think interesting. Probably to- now that's a bit different, um, but yeah, it's interesting to think whether or not now um, that um, whether now that that uh, you know these people would consider themselves Ukrainian or Russian. I don't really know. Maybe that's something for discussion. They're also cool. You'd love this stuff as well. They were going skiing. They'd go off to do work, you know, because they're, they're theoretical physicists. They could do it anywhere. Yeah. Know? So there's a picture in the book of um, him and Lev Landau on the top of a mountain called Pistadin in Switzerland, signing off a letter to nature. <laughs> the two of them just signing it off on the top of a mountain. Just went to Switzerland, walked around. Other it's stories, right, you know, it? they just... They there don't were simpler go, times. They don't go to the office, you know. This is the kind of rock, rock star lifestyle, hanging around in Vienna. They don't go to the the lab they don't go into work they just hang around in viennese coffee shops and order more and more coffee yeah yeah yeah, crazy smoking chatting i say i just need to need to get (laughs) need to get working stop i just need to channel i want to channel my inner gamov you're just jealous you like all this stress that you're talking about at the beginning you'd rather just be on top of a mountain (laughs) in switzerland one one further story about him i wanted to tell you about one of the earlier papers it's called something like on the 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 you know formation he 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 developed a lot of the theory behind the formation of heavier elements in stars through fusion really right. early on came up with the liquid drop model of the nucleus if you've heard of the liquid drop model of the nucleus that's from gamov anyway he wrote a paper and his student was called ralph alpha right so the two of them wrote this paper about these creation of heavy elements impactful paper sent to nature um anyway gamov thought what well, alpha gamov i've got a friend called hans Bether. Let's get him on board. So he got Hans Bether on board specifically. So the Clean. paper was like Alpha, good. Beta, Gamma. Right? Nice. Oh, I bet only, that made you love him, didn't it? it? It pissed off Alpha so much that 
up until 1999, you know, about 70, 60 or 70 years after the paper, he was still bitter about it. Why? Because but, this chap because had been called in just for the hell nothing. of it. Yeah, and Alpha was a uh, grad student. Oh, the two other chaps were really famous seniors. It's for the Bants. He did it for the Bants. <laughs> anyway, Alpha, Alpha's dead now. There was another chap as well um, called Herman, and he tried to get him to change his name to Delta and come in on it as well, but he wouldn't Brilliant. change his name. Anyway, George Gamov, notable farceur, incredible scientist, Ukrainian. Stefania, mamo, mamo, Stefania, rozkwitaje pole, a wona syvije, zaspiwaj meni, mamo, koli z kolu, choću się poczuty twoje rite słowo. Wona mene kole sala dala meni rytem i napane solo wolę, ne zabrato mene, bo dala wona napane stala, może bilczy i witkola, mana loma, ne me do roha, me prejdu, ja zaspię do tebe, mana ne rozbudy. You know what I've got. You know what I've got to do next week. I don't. I've got to go and have a medical as part of um, for for a scientific reason that's nothing to do with my. So what, one of the things we're doing in the lab at the moment, which we've we've spoken about, although I don't think we put it on the podcast, is that um, I'm going to be um, spinning out my first company. Yeah, it's like exciting, dude. It's very exciting, and as part of that, I've got to go and have a medical from some fancy um, Harley Street doctor who's going to basically just check if my heart's going to give out because I'm going to be working in the company. And our investors want to make sure that I'm healthy enough to be able to work in the company because they're about to put, give us a load of money. Um, That's amazing. So, so you're so fundamental I'm to just, their I'm investment so success. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. It is. Don't well, undersell yourself. That's amazing. Well, like, well, no one's ever bothered about me. I don't think anyone cares if I live or died. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true, um, but it's. I, but I, it got me kind of thinking, and you know, so um, uh, it's quite a m- amazing thing in some respects. And I just kind of wanted to kind of like talk about it. Really, is that you know we are about. So what I'm going to do is we're going to be spinning out a company from some of the research that we developed in our lab, um, which is going to. We've raised been raising funding over the last about year or so um yeah. to be able to kind of i'm going to be taking a sabbatical next year for 50 percent of my time to actually be involved with the company to try and get it off the ground a little bit awesome. and and what's amazing about it is that at the moment nick don't don't tell the investors but all we've got is a powerpoint and me and some some of my co-founders but we've got you know like it's actually very simple and it was what's amazing about the whole process is that you can go from an idea through to getting investment and founding a company and licensing. Should you be saying this, Steve? Should be saying that all you've got is a PowerPoint. <laughs> it's a PowerPoint. <laughs> Hang on a minute, though. No, you're not being. Yeah. You're being. You're not being totally serious. You've got patents. We yeah, we do. Yeah, well, the university's got them. I haven't got any of it. I haven't got anything. So the university owns my brain. So it's their patent. Um, oh right. But, so, they're um, getting, so so they're getting into bed with the university as well, are they? exactly yeah Ah, right right but presumably there's all kind of licensing stuff and yeah exactly and this is all kind of upboard and actually quite expected and i think because i mean it'd be interesting to know what you think but you know ultimately the reason some of the reasons that people fund the research that goes on in our lab you know they give us taxpayers money is the possibility of doing things like this of commercializing some of the science if it's commercializable and growing something and ultimately creating services and products that actually will help people in the future you know um and so that's kind of what we're trying to do here or that's the yeah, goal of the blah, company blah 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 you just want loads of money <laughs> i sound, I sound like a capitalist now don't i uh, <laughs> anyway there's like there's quite interesting so i kind of got you know so when you start doing this nick i was like oh god like you know what's what's this gonna 
you know like what if we mess up and what goes wrong and so i started having a look right and there's actually loads and loads of scientific um articles about failed um like university spin-out companies right you know um and you know so and there's also kind of people dispelling myths associated with um you you would imagine that the kind of i the the u.s would be really good um at kind of spin-out companies in comparison to the uk um, and, and, and although that's kind of true, actually what you look at is basically the, the U.S. were first to the game. So if you look at something, uh, so so the, the U.S. have had kind of what's called tech transfer offices, so these bits of a university that help you kind of commercialize ideas way, way before um, the, um, uh, like in the kind of 80s, before the 80s is quite common, right? Something like about 20% of all U.S. universities had tech transfer offices in the 70s, whereas, right. you're looking, whereas in the U.K. it's not until kind of mid-90s where we really started to um, really kind of scale up that um, the, the number of universities that had even e- these even offices existed within universities. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and typically it takes quite a long time for those initial ideas you know um particularly in things like licensing of of, of technologies to companies it takes quite a long time so actually the, although they're generating much more revenue they're doing it basically because they came to the party pretty early on although so there's a nice there's a nice article from um, a lady called uh, dr edwin williams uh who's at the university of warwick who wrote this a, a kind of um a, a document um kind of detailing how the uk does relative to the us and why there is this kind of supposed myth that we kind of we also that we kind of don't do we don't we kind of we're not doing too 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 well and but in fact actually we're doing pretty good yeah indeed i was been there's a there's a company called um uh, air street capital that kind of did a survey it's quite it's really interesting about from 143 kind of uk spin out companies and it's the, the the findings are really interesting right so they asked a bunch of questions about um you know their experiences so the first one was you know were founders generally satisfied with their like their kind of spin out experience and then they ranked it across all the kind of uk and european universities and so they've got universities that love you know people in the university that love their spin out and people that people that don't cambridge actually did pretty well like you know came as one of the top five you know universities that well, like this is actually... people they asked people who had spin out companies and said did you exactly. have a good time and yeah, cambridge yeah, yeah. people usually had a good time generally pretty good pretty, who pretty didn't good time. who didn't have a good time oxford Oh, right. Here we go, Steve. <laughs> so you brought this up just to, to rub Oxford's nose in it. And UCL apparently came bottom of the list. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. They, but it, the differences are kind of interesting. So one of the things they said that UK universities do is they take generally take more equity in companies. So typically they can take up to 20% of a company as a, as a kind of typical value. The university. Yeah. I mean, I kind of companies. think they should because yeah. they, you know, the only reason that it's happening is because the university is there, right? So and it allows and it allows you time and and encourages you to do it. So I think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I don't really yeah. understand what the universe because it's the taxpayers who should get some of this back, right? That's who should be benefiting from it because they're paying uh, for the research. But the yeah, unions aren't really paying for the research. The people that pay for the research are students, where mo- universities get the majority of their income, and mm. the research. Really, that's, true. that's what pays for it. So yeah, so so you know the university. I suppose you could argue that the university, if the universities are successful, they can fund more research. That then the, the, the society as a whole gets the company. Yeah, these you know, universities. So, so they're pre- they're like predators these days. <laughs> they're just big cash printing operations. Sorry, I yeah. say that as, and I'm saying that as a deputy. It comes from of, a place of love. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So corporate. so it's about. But I mean, just to kind of compare, it's about twenty percent in the UK, uh, much lower than that. About six percent in the US. Typically, would be the equity that a university would hold. 
Right. Okay. Um, UK universities also greedier. They want like um, actually control of the governance of the spin-out company. Yeah. So they want people and sat they, on the board. I mean, I don't know. And this is a very general statement, but they tend to be so ossified and mm. have so much inertia that it's yeah. phenomenally hard to get things done because um, within university, there's, within there's the less university incentive, framework, you mean. there's less incentive for the people who work in those departments to actually make things happen, I think. Mm. So it makes it a lot harder. I don't know what your experience has been. Um, yeah, I think the, the universities, I think there's, there's clearly a kind of difference, right? There's an advantage of doing something in a commercial sphere and there's an advantage of doing something in an academic sphere. Um, you know, academia is very good at kind of giving people space and time. Um, uh, industry, like industry and commercial applications, you've got to make money or you've got to have a plan to make money, right? You're quite like this, Nick, right? So you have to do a, like a, a, a business plan for your investors, right? So, but of course we don't know what it's going to do, right? So I so sat there in front of my Excel spreadsheet and I made a bunch of lines, a bunch of graphs that all went up. And then I rang up my chief investor and I said, look, all the lines go up. Is that all right? And they get, of course the lines always go up. I was like, do the lines ever go down? They're like, no, the lines ever go down. I was like, but, and, you, and you're going to hold me to this? No, 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 we're not going to hold you to this. I was like, so, so we all have to make these things that no one looks at, no one cares about, but we just have to make sure the lines go up. Yes, yes, that's what you've got to do. <laughs> so, so I was like, well, okay, fine. I guess the argument would be you wouldn't do it if that the lines have to go up by definition of you doing it because otherwise you wouldn't do well, it because you wouldn't well, expect you're, you're, to make any right. money. You know, you're right. You're, they're asking you to think it through, but it's quite funny that you're kind of a lot of the variables in that equation. You have absolutely no, oh, no yeah, idea. Oh yeah, and they'll them. they'll and presumably they'll know ten times more than you about a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, it's really exciting actually from a kind of scientific point of view because because it's just rich people's money that they're investing in this investment com company. You can take a little bit more of a risk, like associated, and not only can you can can you take it, it's almost expected. So, you know, when we when we spend taxpayers' money on research, we have to be, you know, mindful of the fact that that money could be going to the NHS or it could be going to, you know, the roads or whatever, right? But here, this is rich people's cash, right? And of course, they want some possibility that they could get a huge return, otherwise they wouldn't invest in it. But actually, their expectation is that you'll probably fail, which is great. They love it. They're expecting we're going to fail. They hope we won't, but they expect we will. I guess and it's, it's like, it's spread betting, isn't it? Or I suppose, yeah. the sort of taking well, exactly. Pun. If, like if one is taking a punt on eight and one's like a 20 to one shot or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, but you're just assuming that on average you pick you pick enough right horse. You don't have to pick that many right horses, but you have to pick a couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, interesting. So, so on this study, just to kind of finish it, so that they asked um, the closing question from this 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 survey of spin-outs as they asked the, 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 the spin-out founders, they asked them a very simple question. They said, Based upon your experience with the university, uh, are you do you plan to donate significantly back to the university if and when your spin out is successful? Renowning majority, sixty three point eight percent, no. Well, of course you wouldn't <laughs> donate. I mean, if, if well, they've already taken their twenty percent cut, they've already done the business. Why would you donate? Well, they're saying, you know, do you intend to become a significant donor if your spin out is successful? You know, no, because the university, no. like, and they're all like, nah, nah. They've already no. taken their pound of flesh. You know, it's very much like, you know, they're, you know, they're like, nah, you, you, you have the ecosystem to get your money back. We're giving you no more. Yeah. Oh, well, and if, that if sounds that, good, man. That sounds that sounds really encouraging. Well, good luck with your medical. So yeah. are they going to like make you run know. on the spot? I don't know. Stethoscope? Is it just going to be just going to listen to my heart and say I ate too make much you drop, red meat? Drop your pants, stick a finger up your ass. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Can you cough, sir? 
They do that, don't they? They sort of cup your nether regions and cough. That's a myth. Is that a myth? I don't know. It's never I mean, I literally, me, I literally have never had a med- medical to my knowledge. <laughs> Neither have I. It's my, it's my first, my first. I mean, so why, I'll why do back. it? Why do it? They might find something. Don't want to know. That. Yeah. <laughs> well, how incredibly scientific of you. Why bother to find something out? Because you might find something out you don't like. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Back. Well, good luck with that, and congratulations with all that stuff, and um, we'll 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 see how it progresses. Mm. Well, the yeah, weather's turning, isn't it? Mate, last week I had terrible diarrhoea. <laughs> it was awful. I think it was a norovirus. According you got the norovirus? Oh, mate, I was hurling out one end and squirting out the other. I tell, that is absolutely lovely, Brian. Thank you for sharing that. That's very Couldn't kind of you. Couldn't do anything. Yeah. You won't go and see. Did... Down the sea, down the morning, you. We've got a new player, mate. Diego Costa. Diego Costa. Is he a oh. goodie? Is he expensive? I think he came for nothing. He came for nothing. <laughs> okay. oh, well, yeah, well, well, you know what they say when you pay peanuts. He can't run. He's an inspiration, <laughs> mate. Anyway, bit of fun, eh? Bit of fun. Did anyway, you enjoy I the podcast? That. I love the podcast today. Yeah. I love a bit of, I love a bit of business chat. Me you and Marjorie, it. we tried to set up a business out in our shed once. Oh, did he? What did you sell? We, we, well, you might we like the sticklebacks from the canal. Ah, so you tried we to... We were fishing we, them sticklebacks and then we were putting them... Like in a bag, in like yeah. one bag, you know, like the sandwich bags. You get down yeah. in sandwich. We put them in the sandwich bag, and then we went down to the shop and we tried to sell the sticker back in the in the sandwich bag. You know how, how, many mu- we how much? Sell? How much? How much were your sticklebacks? Fifty pence, mate. Fifty p a stickleback. Fifty p. All right. I bet these days it'd be more though. This was quite a few years ago now. Were you and Marjorie successful? Did you have a large? Did you take take your company all the way to IPO? We got rid of two. You got rid. Of two. Yeah, two little kids. Two little kids. Okay. Home. Anyway, so the to... business. So I hope your business goes better than mine. We didn't have now, and what's that called? The IP. Look, you made you made you made profit right from day one, right? The company, our company, plans to lose money for you know at least a few good good couple of years. Well, that's not very clever, is it, mate? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, Brian. It's not. I don't know why they're giving us anything, to be honest. Bloody hell! Anyway, and then I love the bit about the Ukraine. Hmm. Love those guys, man. Well, I'm glad you like the science shed, Brian. If if if, if you like the science shed, the best thing to do um, is to kind of. Uh, is to communicate with Nick and myself on social media. I'm at what Steve. What are you doing in here? What are you doing in here, boy? And he's not going to mind you anymore. Thank you, Marjorie. Well, I'm afraid right, it looks like. Sorry about um, that. She's gone now. All right. Well, it's good to hear Marjorie. I don't think I've ever heard of, heard her before. Oh, um, yeah, I'm at Steve. I ain't too much of a. Nick is at um, the Evans Lab. Um, or we're at the Science Shed on Twitter. Um, and, and if you could, if, if people like the Science Shed and want to hear more of it, if they could just share it uh, on their social media, um, write us a review, 
uh, tell all of their friends and family how wonderful we are. And then we will continue on our world quest with me, Nick, and of course, Brian and Marjorie, who are the, the podcast's number one fan. Frosty, mate! All right, gotta go!